0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening, and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Great to be with you, what a bunch of neat stuff that's been happening this week. So many great things and it's a beautiful Colorado day, a beautiful time to be together in worship in this cool space and looking into the future to see what we can see of Jesus. We're in week two of Future Jesus and so as we look into our little part of the book of Revelation, Um, This morning, what do we see of Jesus? This morning, we gather to worship, to give praise to the living God, to give glory to Jesus, to proclaim his lordship over our lives and over the earth. And so the question is, are we on track? Are we doing the right thing? Does our worship now of Jesus last into the future? Is future Jesus worthy of glory and honor and praise? So let's take a look. As we open our Bibles, um, turn on your Bibles to Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And as you send it forth today, open our ears, open our hearts, that we might receive your word, that it might embed deeply in our hearts and bear fruit, a fruit that will last. Um, Lord, help us to see you today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Revelation 5, beginning with verse 11. Then I looked... And heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Worship. At the end of all things, we find all of creation, and by all I mean all, giving glory to Jesus forever, the Lamb the throne. Glory and honor. The book of Revelation is a tough book. Pastor Tim talked last week about how in seminary he was told never preach Revelation. I was told that too in my seminary. Never preach the book of Revelation. It's too hard. It's too strange. But I was also told at seminary never preach on the Psalms. And we just did that. And I think it went okay. So let's see what we've got today. Revelation, the book of Revelation, sits in a category of what we call apocalyptic literature. It's future-oriented, it's vision-driven, and sometimes the images that we're given feel like they're from another world. They don't quite match up with what we know of reality. It's hard to understand this kind of literature. It's hard. It stretches our imagination. It's not easy reading. In other words, it's not Dr. Seuss. It's not the Chronicles of Narnia. Although I will say, if you enjoy those types of books, you might be ready to tackle Revelation. In the Old Testament, the book of Daniel sits alongside Revelation as apocalyptic literature. And as you heard last week, Tim pointed to some different passages that um, that flow from Daniel into Revelation. So our passage today also has a couple anchor points in the book of Daniel. Daniel writes about one like the Son of Man who is given authority and glory and sovereign power, which is what we heard in our passage today. Apocalypsis means to uncover, to disclose something, to see clearly what is not clearly seen. It is an unveiling, a pulling back of a curtain so that you can see what's behind the reality of what you're experiencing. So unlike the Wizard of Oz, where the curtain is pulled back and what we see is a not-so-great and powerful wizard, in Revelation, the curtain is pulled back to glimpse future Jesus who is beyond what our imaginations can hold and capture and is worthy, we read, of all honor and praise. A glimpse into the throne room of God. So how does this glimpse into the throne room, this picture of Jesus, the lamb on the throne, how does that connect with our lives today? What does this vision of future Jesus, why does it matter to us? In John's vision, he is urged to write down what he sees and send it to the churches. There's an urgency in John's writing. What John sees, the church needs. And what we need to see today is a picture of all of creation worshiping Jesus in the final chapters of our story. Okay, so what do we see? Now I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes, but only if you're not gonna fall asleep. I want you to visualize Because this is an imagination book, visualize what John is writing. From chapters four and five, he sets up a picture of this throne room. So close your eyes and just, I'm going to just tell you what he talks about and see if you can imagine it in your mind. There are precious gems. Picture jaspers and rubies and emeralds. That's how John describes the throne and the one who's seated there. John writes that all the colors of the rainbow encircle the throne. See if you can picture that, all the colors. A sea of crystal clear glass expands in front of the throne. Beauty and color and clarity. Can you picture it? John stretches our imaginations to see the most beautiful and stunning setting that you can possibly imagine. And then he pushes us to see more. He says there are more thrones encircling the throne in the center. And that's where the elders are seated. And they're dressed in white with crowns of gold. Now, there's different thoughts as to who these elders represent, but what seems most important in this moment is that their thrones are pointing to the center throne. They are fixed on who is at the center. Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder come from the throne, symbols of the power of the creator and the magnificent strength of of all that he has created. And then a lamb comes forth to sit on the central throne. And not just any lamb, but we're told that it's a lamb that was slain. It's the sacrificial lamb. It's the crucified and resurrected Jesus who is the worthy one. And then around him are angels, too many to count, thousands and thousands, myriads and myriads, giving glory to Jesus. And then not just angels, but every creature that was ever made. Picture that on earth, under the earth, in heaven, under the sea, all giving their worship to God and to the lamb. Can you picture it? Okay, open your eyes, wake up. (laughs) And so as John describes the throne room scene, you get the sense as he's describing it that he doesn't quite have the language to articulate what he sees, but he's giving it his best shot. But what is most evident, most beautiful, most important in this vision is what is at the center of the picture. Everything is set up to be pointed toward the lamb on the throne, toward Jesus. And every creature is focused on giving their worship to the Lamb, to Jesus. So if you picture it like our solar system that rotates, the planets rotate around the sun, that center point, so there is a center point to our existence. There is a middle, a center of our existence. At the end of all time, at the end of all things, the center is clearly seen In John's vision, all of life looks to the lamb on the throne and in worship declares that the lamb at the center is the one worthy of everything. It's Jesus. Only Jesus is strong enough to hold everything together. Only the crucified and risen Jesus is able to to carry a broken and wounded world to its completion. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Friends, what we see at the end, at, at, in John's vision of the end of all things, is the future, final, and forever worship of Jesus. Okay, let's take a breath. Revelation's challenging, it's a little bit hard. Part of the reason is it's hard to visualize. What John is describing, it's hard for him to to say it, to articulate it, to put it down on paper, and it's harder for us to even grasp, and then to know what we're supposed to do with it. So here's where we need to push just a little bit deeper to understand the worthiness of Jesus as the one, the only one, fit to sit on the throne of all creation. So you may not realize it, but the word worthy is connected to the contemporary word worship. Here's how. The old English word for worship is worth-ship. It means to ascribe worth to someone or something, to declare that with our words and our actions that something has value. As human beings, we've been created with the capacity to worship. We've been given the capacity to ascribe worth to the things around us. So every day... We're constantly doing this. This is how we we put our days in motion. This is our daily pattern. Depends on are things worth it, are things worth our time? Is it worth it to exercise? Maybe. Is it worth it to go to work? Probably. Is it worth it to get enough sleep, to take a summer vacation? Is it worth it to read this book? Is it worth my time to sign up for this class? Is it worth it to be a Broncos fan (laughs) or an Avalanche fan? Too soon? Sorry. (laughs) What is worth giving my life to? We will worship or assign worth, friends, to something. We can't not worship. So the question is not will we worship. The question is who or what will we worship? Who or what will we ascribe the most value and meaning to in our life? What do you value most in your life? It's not an easy question to grapple with. Some uncomfortable, maybe at points. But when we gaze on the beauty, glory, and perfection of the Lamb on the throne, in this passage, when we come back to this picture, we realize afresh that Jesus alone is worthy of our worship. The question in Revelation 5 is, is Jesus worthy? And the answer is, given in the picture, an unequivocal yes. And it's just, I mean, we can just get to that by looking at the constellation of all those different beings that are giving worship, that are pointing to Jesus, that are looking to him. The answer is yes. That's our picture this morning. Now, those in that picture are naturally giving worship and wonder to Jesus. But for those of us here in our fallen and broken world, in a sense, we must choose to worship Jesus. In fact, throughout the Old and New Testaments, the Word of God directs us over and over, fix our eyes on Jesus, worship the Lord and him alone. So let's just work our way through a couple of these to get the idea. In Psalm 27, King David sings to the people of Israel, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord and the splendor of his holiness. David directs the people to ascribe worth to God. Ascribe your worth in the right direction. As Joshua leads the people of Israel, he puts before them these words. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Every day is a decision for us. Who or what is worthy of my worship. Who or what will I serve today? It seems straightforward. We're gathered here for one purpose, to worship the, the God of the universe, but lots of things when we leave this place can distract us or indeed choke out our worship. In Mark 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and he talks about the word of God going out like a seed into different kinds of soil, and depending on the nature of that soil will determine the fruitfulness of that seed. And I love how he puts, um, Eugene Peterson puts, or paraphrases um, this part of the parable of the seed that's scattered in the weeds. He said, the seed cast in the weeds represents the one who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get done. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. Worry, stress, lists of things to get done, lists of things to do. There are always responsibilities and distractions vying for our time and our hearts and the worthiness of our attention. Another New Testament story focuses on how even good things can distract us from the best things. The story of Mary and Martha, Jesus comes to visit, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, Martha is in the kitchen making the meal, being the great hostess, and she's frustrated and anxious because Mary isn't helping her. And Jesus' words are clear, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better, it will not be taken away from her. And it's not that serving others is not important. Actually, it's very important to serve. But if the most important thing, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus, is not attended to, then serving others becomes a chore, a competition, something that I get frustrated with when others don't see how important the things I'm doing are and help me. So in this story, Martha has chosen worry. Mary has chosen Jesus. And as I read this story, friends, for some strange reason, I think, well, yeah, I often choose worry too. I often would rather worry about things than hand them over to Jesus and let them go. Not hard to understand. I've heard it said if you look at your calendar, your bank statement, your internet searches, you will see what matters most to you. So if you don't know, look at those things, I guess. That will tell you what matters most to you. There's some truth in that, I suppose. But daily, we're making decisions around those things. What's most important? What am I giving my time to? Um, We order our lives around what we think is most worthy. A few years ago, our family was part of a camp where we did that that big rock in a jar exercise. Have you ever done that? Where you have a jar and you take some big rocks and you write down on three or four of them the most important things in your your life, in your family's life um, that you want to pay attention to. Um, and then you're supposed to put those rocks in first um, because if you don't, you know, all the sand and the smaller rocks, which represent all the other things going on in your life, swirling around, if they go in first, they fill up your jar before you're able to put in the big rocks. So the exercise being know what's most important, make a choice, and put those in first. It's a fun, it's a fun um, little exercise. But when we think about our lives, we think about you know, what are we worried about, distracted, what distracts us, overwhelmed, stressed, urgent, anxious, unmet desires, fighting for breath, discouraged, frustrated. There are just so many things that clamor for our attention, our time, and our resources. And I'm betting that you know what those things are in your life, the things that are trying to take first place. Which is why I suppose that in Scripture, we're, why we're commanded to set aside a day of worship together with the body of believers, and to set aside a tithe of all you have earned. They're not merely suggestions, they're commands, probably because it's too hard to choose those things when they're listed among a myriad of options of how we spend our time. Those things don't make earthly sense. So by the grace of God, God simply says, let me get you started. Like on a Monopoly board or a Candyland board, it's clearly marked, Start here. In Revelation five, the curtain is pulled back that we might see the true worth of Jesus and know without a doubt here is your starting point. Right here. Write that down, John. Send it to the churches. They need to see this picture. A few weeks ago, I was on a global call with some of our leaders of our sister church in Egypt in Heliopolis. And if you don't know it, Egypt has been recently experiencing another wave of COVID that's been quite deadly. At our sister church, several members of the church have died in the last few months. Heartbreaking. And as we shared prayer requests together, the main prayers from our Egyptian partners were yes, that those who had lost loved ones would be comforted and experience the peace of God. But just as important to them is that Jesus' name would be glorified, that the work of Christ In Egypt would go forth, would not be barriered by by COVID. Their earnest prayer is that Egypt would come to know Jesus. And there's a desperation in their hearts and voices. Because Jesus is worthy. This past week, as you saw, our kids and our youth spent the week up at Camp Elam. Um, Our middle schoolers are um, up in Black Forest right now. I think they're on their way home right now. Um, coming down to church, but 135 kids in all, perhaps, hopefully, one of the best weeks of their summer is what it was. I had the privilege of being up at Camp Elam on Tuesday, um, and then out in Black Forest with our middle schoolers on Thursday, and it was great, friends, just our kids studying the Bible, praying, having more fun than any kid should be allowed to have in a given summer. Just fantastic time was had by all as they learned more about Jesus God has given all of us as a church the awesome responsibility of raising these young ones in Christ, of helping them to know Jesus, to give their lives and to call on his name. There there isn't a more worthy task, friends, that we could take on. Vacation Bible School is coming next month and we have now over 400 kids who have signed up to hear about Jesus at VBS. And I want you to know that each of these adventures that we put on through the summer everything that we do are centered around one thing, around Jesus. We pour ourselves into every aspect, every detail, every talk, every game, every snack for the purpose of pointing kids to Jesus. We've asked our entire church to sign up to help with EBS, believing that every station, any possible thing that you could sign up for, from welcoming a kid to handing a name tag to leading a small group discussion or even waving goodbye at the end of the day helps them to experience the love and kindness and worthiness of giving their lives to Christ. Every volunteer spot in VBS becomes a signpost. All you have to do is stand in your spot, whatever it is, and point to Jesus. It's the whole thing. As I think about this generation of young people, I think we all could say that they're carrying a lot. The past year was exceptionally rough for them. And friends, if Jesus is not the answer, then let's not waste our time or theirs. What they are carrying is way too heavy to give them something that can't really hold the things that they have in their hands. But if Jesus is the answer, if Jesus is worthy to hold the weight of the world, the weight of our frantic lives, and the weight of the things that our kids carry in all their hearts, then let's give ourselves in every way possible that they might know Jesus. Is Jesus worthy? In Revelation chapter five, it's clear. Everything rests on Jesus. The only one who is worthy of all glory, honor, wisdom, power, and praise. I'll close with this. At our house in this past year, we've probably had more boxes than ever coming to our doorstep bringing stuff. The doorbell rings, the dog goes crazy. We all know something has arrived on our porch. We also know in our family that unless your name is on that box, you don't get to open it. It's a little game we play, right? The person whose name is on the address label gets to open the box, and only they have the authority to tell you whether you're allowed to open it or not. It's a game we played all year. Who gets to open the box? Revelation 5 begins with a box that is sealed and needs to be opened. Actually, it's a scroll, not a box, but you get the idea. It becomes clear in John's vision that there is only one who is worthy to open that scroll. What is contained in that scroll is unclear, but what is clear is that Jesus is the only one worthy to open it. Friends, there are many burdens in this world, boxes that are full of despair and destruction and death and injustice and sin and pain, and those boxes just keep coming. They arrive on your doorstep, and they arrive on the doorstep of the world. Everywhere we look, there is deep damage. Whole systems are broken. We treat one another with disrespect and disdain, and those boxes just keep piling up. You've got burdens that you carried in here this morning that are way too heavy for you to be carrying. I don't know what's in your boxes, friends, but I know that they're tearing at your heart. From what John shows us in this chapter, the address sticker on those boxes, do not have your name written on them. And you have no business opening boxes that do not bear your name. The name on those boxes is the name of Jesus. And only Jesus is worthy and able to open the boxes of burden. Only Jesus is worthy to break the seal and carry what's inside. You see friends, it's not just any lamb that sits on the throne, it's the lamb who was slain. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, obedient to the Father, taking all the sin and hurt and darkness and evil of the world on his body, taking it to the cross and leaving it there. And in his death and resurrection, a cosmic event that changed the course of everything, everything belongs to him. From creation to completion, it all belongs to Jesus. Only Jesus has the power to take the sin and darkness and evil of this world and redeem it and restore it and make it new. And all of that starts right here in worship, as we gather to ascribe worth to the one who is worthy of all. Here we bring our full selves, everything, and I mean everything, to the Lord, giving it to Jesus. And we trust him to hold our lives and to hold a broken world. Your life is not yours to carry as you limp along trying to figure out how to put together your best life. Your life belongs to Jesus. And as we gather in worship, we give everything to him. So I end with this question, friends. Is Jesus worthy? He is. He is. And all the angels and elders and every creature ever made, together in one voice, proclaim forever. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprescos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot